Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to season six of The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. Welcome back if you're a regular listener. I've missed you. And if you're one of the thousands who joined us in recent months, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. My guest this week has always been a self-starter. From flogging Blue Peter badges in the playground to earn a few extra quid, to joining the audience while she was still at school, famously telling her mum, Sod school, I'm going on tour with NME. Sophie Ellis-Bexter has been doing it her own way for a very long time. Famous almost before she was born, thanks to her mum, Blue Peter presenter Janet Ellis, she's made seven albums, aced Strictly, had five children, and given us two enormous dance hits. And that was before she brought some levity to lockdown with her sequin-strewn kitchen disco. If you're stamping around and putting your hands in the air, it's like, oh, you just let it go. It's like, just let the music just be the place you put all that stress. Now Sophie has written a memoir, Spinning Plates. It's an unexpectedly candid and down-to-earth look at music, men and motherhood, and how her attitude to all three has changed as she's got older. Sophie joined me from the kitchen of kitchen disco fame to talk about giving voice to her 17-year-old self, reshaping her career in her 40s, the art of bouncing back and learning when to say no. Anyway, thank you for doing it. It's lovely to... No, nice to talk to you as well. It sounds like you had a great gig last night. So the gigs were Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Uh, Henley was Friday, Saturday was Manchester and Thursday was the Isle of Wight. Was it good to be back on stage? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty lucky, really. We did one of the first early test events, the government debt test events. We did one called Tramlines in June. And I've been doing like the older bit. But yeah, it's really lovely. I mean, the crowds are just gorgeous. They've been really amazing, actually. I think it's good just for everybody. It's like a collective hooray, you know? For, yeah. For everywhere, front of house, the crew, the people putting all the things together, people in the audience, people on stage. Like, everybody's just like, good. <laughs> <laughs> So you couldn't really get any more different from being on stage to writing a book. No, it's true. It's funny you say that. I was literally thinking about that on the way home from school this morning and just like the difference in the whole thing and creatively the difference in writing lyrics versus an autobiography is very different. 
yeah. What made you do it? Because you're quite private, aren't you? You've managed to live a public life without being too public. So what made you go, I'm just going to, I'm going to put it all out there? I think it's a combination of things. I'm a big believer in serendipity with this stuff. You know, you can't really force it, can you? And so last year, when Hodder approached me, it was off the back of a podcast I started last year called Spinning Plates. And they approached me saying, oh, why don't you write a series of essays about your thoughts on stuff? And that was quite a good device, really, because it meant I started writing sections and I thought, actually, I think I want to write about everything now. (laughs) But it sort of freed me up to not write chronologically, which I think if I'd started at the beginning, Uh gone straight through, I think I would have got a bit bored in a way. So this way I hopped around lots of different things. And I think the fact that we did have that year where everything kind of stopped a bit was a good time to kind of take stock. And maybe also the fact that I just turned 40 a couple of years ago. And I don't know, just felt like I was kind of at a place where a lot of those topics and things sort of, I could see how they'd informed all the decisions I was making now. And yeah, it felt good to write it down, actually. I'm also feeling quite nervous at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that bit just before it comes out why yeah yeah that that kind of you did what why I know why yeah it's funny that because yeah it's such an obvious question like why did you you're like not really quite sure I just really wanted to I really enjoyed it though I loved it a lot more than I thought I would I think it's a really good way of doing it just to sit down and write and just go where it goes but did you expect to be as candid as you've ended up being yeah I don't really know if there's another version of how you do it really I think no either write it all and write it honestly or don't really bother I don't think there is much of a halfway house well for me anyway no I agree and it's it's kind of interesting what it is you want to write first. I learned quite yeah. a lot myself, actually, in terms of where I wanted to head. And I ended up writing about possibly the sort of hardest bits straight away, just because I think there's something really validating about putting those things down and getting a voice back into situations where you maybe didn't feel that you had one very much at the time. When I read it, I thought that was really interesting because you wrote the hardest chapter first. Mm. And when I wrote my memoir, I wrote the hardest chapter last, which probably does sum me up a bit. It's like, put it off, put it off, put it off. But that chapter, incredibly tough to write and tough to read. But I love the way that you said that, you know, you weren't heard when you were 17 and that you think you'll be heard now and that what you were doing was going back into that room and that time and empowering your 17 year old self. I absolutely loved that. I sometimes feel a little bit like most people are a bit like trees anyway. You know, you know, if you cut like a tree and you can see how old mm. the rings, but some of the rings are kind of darker. I think that's sort of like all those times where things have happened that have kind of formed part of who you are. And it is a really nice feeling to go back in time like that. I think I always knew I'd do it one day. I just wasn't really sure when. Plus, uh, most people have got experiences like that. Yeah. And that's okay. I think that's probably what you'll find the most. There's so much to identify with in there and I think you'll have loads of people for better or worse contacting you saying you know oh my god I had exactly that experience when I was 17 or I felt like that after I had my first child or you know that'd be nice I don't mind having those conversations I quite like having those conversations so yeah yeah. ask me again in a year (laughs) yeah yeah you'll probably like two two or three weeks publicity and then need to lie down for a bit I'm a happy person and I do feel quite resolved. So hopefully it will come across that, you know, these things can happen. They don't define you. Just another step, really. And it's quite a nice feeling, really. I don't really want to like name and shame anyone. I just wanted to be able to stand up and be like, actually, I've come so far from that. those things, actually. It's a happy ending. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. You know, you also wrote, again, incredibly movingly about a coercive relationship that you were in pre-Richard. I thought it was so interesting because it was such a classic kind of shining girl situation. And I think so many of us have those blokes in our history. Yeah, They're attracted to kind of like bright young women and then everything they do is about kind of trying to snuff them out. Definitely. Yeah. Very weird dynamic. You know, I think I said like, even now I can have a bad dream and be sort of back there. And it's Mm. amazing Like, no, no, that's not my life anymore. It's not my life. But yeah, I think I've met people where they're in those situations. I don't don't think you necessarily can get out of it until you're ready though. I don't know how how I would have listened if anyone had said, not sure this is a great idea. I think I just thought that's what love was really. Yeah, I totally agree. And and wrote about something similar I mean the way you put it I mean I described it as boxes and trying to live in a box and not touch the sides of the box and you've described it as a room that's getting smaller and smaller around you really similar how long did it take you to unfurl if you like Uh, I feel like aspects of just of like who I am have been unfurling right up until probably like the last sort of 18 months to be honest mm-hmm. I think probably that's possibly why at the beginning you know when you said I'm private I mean obviously there are still parts of me I don't think people need to know about but in terms of the distinction between my day job and me when I'm not doing my day job the gap is like hardly there now whereas when I was younger I had a lot more you know invisible cloaks I'd put on to kind of feel ready to do interviews or be on stage or be whatever that part's supposed to be and now I just don't worry about that stuff anymore and I think that's probably up in, right up until my 40s which I don't know I don't know how common that is but that's been what I've experienced I think. I think it's quite common when I interviewed Anita Rani I mean she was saying very much the same thing that turning 40 was a really big watershed and in fact Annie Max said the same kind of thing you just go all right this is me and this is what I want Mm. and this is who I am and now it's going to be about moving that forward I don't know whether you feel this but up until into your 40s probably there's a sense of you know that success looks like this and ambition looks like that yeah and if you don't see it that way then you're just not successful or you're not ambitious how did you get the confidence to say okay this is what it looks like for me I think a lot of it relies on a slightly rebellious streak actually (laughs) And having good advice. I mean, I think I learned early on, probably helped by people like my mum and dad giving me advice, but the the power of actually saying no to things as well as yes. Because I think certainly in my experience in the music industry, saying yes was always seen as the answer for success. Yes to everything. Yes to the busy diary. Yes to every bit of promotion. Yes to every opportunity that came your way. And actually learning what to turn down was really good for me. And I liked that. And people get really freaked out by it. I just wasn't really that scared of it. I thought it's okay, you know, and I think you have to also be able to be good at not looking left and right at what other people are up to, because actually, unless you take on someone else's life completely, like hook, line and sinker, you can't really just cherry pick the bits of their success that you think should have happened to you because life doesn't work like that. So I think those kind of things are quite liberating. And probably as well, just looking around at the people I really like and the people whose careers I like and noticing that they don't have to be doing stuff all the time. Sometimes they can just go away and be getting on with something and then just present it when it's ready. You get very, very encouraged to think that everything has to be happening very, very fast and that's quite patches or very bad for business. But actually, I think they're really useful when they happen by default or by choice. Sometimes it's quite good to just actually think, right, I'll just really take my time here then. I'm going to make an album over a longer period of time or write more songs or just not write for a bit or whatever it is that you might need, whatever tonic you might need. Everything needs to be out like next week. It's fine. Everybody else is just getting on with their day, aren't they? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I think that's one of the things that's hard to learn, that 
people aren't looking at you because they're too busy worrying about them. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's getting on with their own lives. I think I have a fairly good sense of where I am in the pecking order, you know, like relatively. And it's okay. And it's like when you're out and about and people who get very like funny about being recognized and, you know, they'll wear like shades and dark glasses and like, <laughs> you know, you, I could go out now and see like someone wildly famous as I'm on my way to get the kids. And, you know, I'll probably remember to tell Richard at supper, but I might not. And that's basically, that's how things that's work. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not a big deal in other people's lives like that. That's fine. That's good. I like that. Have you always been able to kind of like switch off that comparison thing, which does us all so much damage? Or is that a learn something you've learned? I mean, when I was younger, I was, I always felt quite different to the girls that were sort of high flying girls. I don't think I, I probably just didn't really have that option. Really. It's like, just did my own thing really. And I think I, you know, I, I was always able to find good mates and be having, be having fun that way. And I don't have like that FOMO thing, which I think probably helps as well. So I'm sort of quite happy with my lot, really. I don't mean to say everything's always going the way I want it to. That's not true. You know what? It's probably a big deal was probably when my first band got dropped. Because after that, I was like, well, I can continue to blame other people when things go wrong. But really, it's what, it was gave me a big kick up the bum about actually being a bit more answerable for what I was up to. And maybe that's what made it shift a little bit. So it's a bit more on my own terms. I'm sure it flares up every now and then. You know, it's... It's the nature of the beast. It's a very easy trap to fall into. So I'm not saying it never happens, but I just try and catch myself, basically. There's a bit in the book where you're talking about um, feeling high and dry by 20, which was presumably when the audience was dropped. Mm. But they're like, you know, dropped at 20, dropped at 34, pandemic at 40, <laughs> and feeling totally useless each time. But you do seem to have an amazing resilience that don't seem to plummet off into a cavern each time something like that happens. Well, I think I'm quite a simple soul, really. And I think so long as I've got something to peg things on, I'll just do that. I think the worst bit was probably when, when I was dropped at 34. Like, I think I had one gig in the diary and that was when I was like, oh, this is actually a bit horrible. That felt like a bit of an end of the plank moment. But then I think, you know, I just had like maybe a couple things come in and then you're like, okay, that'll be the focus. And just so long as I've got something on the horizon that can help me a bit, really. But yeah, I think I'm just quite simply wired, really. <laughs> very complex <laughs> well it could be or it could just be that you've really got it together okay that's a more flattering interpretation but <laughs> I was really interested when I was reading spinning plates that it feels like you don't give yourself credit for what you've achieved it's they kind of downplay your own achievements a bit because if you look at it from outside oh, seven albums at least a couple of absolutely enormous hits you know five kids on the way past you know <laughs> Well, I guess there's lots of different ways to write an autobiography, but it made the most sense to use the voice that's mine. That's not me. That's not how I think about at night. I'm just not one of those people. And my dad was like, you know, you could use a, like other people in the book to say praise. And I'm just like, that's just not, it's just not me. I could have probably done a slightly more showbiz version, but it'd be a bit yeah. naff. It's just not me. <laughs> I wish the listeners could see the face you were making just then. <laughs> yeah, you could ask Richard. I mean, he's much better at being able to like be like, oh, we're up to this, that and the other. I just feel like it just doesn't sit on my shoulders very well. I'm not that girl. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. What does kind of ambition look like for you now? 
I suppose for me, the, the ambition is all just in the sort of continuing desire really to have the appetite and to keep going. I just I still am very much in love with what I do. I really adore it. And I'm not one for making big, long plans. I don't know what will be happening in five years, but I really want to finish making the album I started before lockdown and make it the best it can be. I want to make a really beautiful tour next year. And when I get to those points, I'll be able to see the next bit. That's what I've got in my head. Still excited for what's out there, really. I love the whole journey of it. It's been brilliant. It's really crazy. It's good. Kitchen Disco was a, was it one of those crazy moments where you think, I'll just do a thing and then bang, it just took off in a way you couldn't have anticipated? Well, absolutely. And it wasn't my idea at all at the beginning. When we first went into lockdown, I felt I felt completely useless. I was like, I, I can't play any instruments to accompany myself. I can't work any technology properly. I just felt like, oh, God, I've got no proper skills set here to be able to put my things out there. And I did feel such a strong want to connect with people. I really did. And I saw so many of my talented musician friends singing with their piano or guitar and violins. And it was like also gorgeous and sweet. And I was like, I just can't do any of that. And then Richard just said, why don't we do a little party set from home and we'll live stream it? And I was like, that's absolutely barking. But then I didn't really have <laughs> reasons not to. And also it gave us something to think about. So we just said, okay, we'll do one on Friday. Let's see how it goes and the first thing we noticed was that after we finished it was a bit like it's a bit like when you have a non-alcoholic beer and for the first 20 minutes your brain thinks it's alcohol same sort of thing like for the first <laughs> we felt like we'd done a real gig even though we were- no audience <laughs> Yeah. And I think the adrenaline of it being very, you know, close to going very wrong gives you that fizz too. But also the feedback, it was just, I thought people were going to make fun of me, to be honest, but they were actually so warm. And I thought maybe a lot of people are feeling a bit like this, like they just need something a bit silly. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was quite instinctive as well, just thinking of songs. And it was amazing. It was like all the memory boxes in my head opened up. So all the songs I'd love when I was little or songs as a teenager or anything with a really good memory attached I'd be like right I'm going to sing that one and do that cover and learn those lyrics and it just became a little place I could go in my head while we were also you know folding laundry or you know trying to get the kids to help with their schoolwork, which was really tough or whatever it was me so yeah it was just a good distraction really yeah very welcome one yeah and I think you know where we all were at when you started doing it that kind of being taken back all that nostalgia and the fun and the glitter you know it kind of created a little happy moment I think in people's weeks yeah and something a bit daft maybe as well that was in short supply I think you know to be a bit silly plus it genuinely is a really good catharsis actually because all the tension if you're stamping around and putting your hands in the air it's like oh you just let it go it's like just let that music just be the place you put all that stress I was definitely using it that way as well yeah I mean, you've been in in and out of the music industry for, what, over 20, 25 years? Because you first started when you were about 15 or 16, didn't you? Yeah, 16 is when I first started. How has it changed from your perspective? The bit of the music industry that just wasn't around for me is the sort of access side of it, the social media and all that kind of thing. Um, Mm. Like being mysterious was always a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I think now probably more than ever because everybody wants to have access. But then I think you can still create something really exciting. I mean, get someone like little Nas X or whatever, you know, he really elevates mm. the whole thing of the aesthetic of what he's up to. So I think there's still going to be pop stars and artists who push that. I'm just really glad I wasn't around when I was younger. Like all the stuff I cringe about. I mean, imagine like being able to actually definitely find all of it. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Same for all of all of our peers, right? It's just like, yeah. thank goodness we can leave that somewhere behind. <laughs> oh, God, so much. And how was it like being a woman in the music industry for you? Mm, I think there were a lot of times when I 
was the only woman. And for me particularly, that was always quite strange because I didn't grow up around a lot of male company like that. I, I went to an all-girls school. I didn't have any, you know, older brothers. My I did have a brother when I was eight, but he was always much younger than me. So I felt like I wasn't very good at talking to male company. I think sometimes it, it was very easy to be reduced if you were the female vocalist. You know, you, you could be prone to a lot of ridicule and um, cynicism and a lot of hoops you were supposed to jump through to prove that you were able to keep up. And I found that quite intimidating. Hoops in terms of the way female musicians or artists are expected to behave or pretending to be like one of the boys hoops. Yeah, that kind of thing, really. Just being able to take it, take the banter. You know, this is the late 90s, early noughties. That style of humour where you either kind of would blush and run out the room or be able to just be able to give a very quick snappy response which I found quite exhausting and a bit a bit misogynistic really and I think also just the opinion that probably you didn't know what you were talking about and that there was some some bloke in a recording studio somewhere that had all the answers and you were just peddling the information that you had. But then I sort of tried to use it to my advantage sometimes because I think pop music as well at that time, when I became a pop artist, pop was a bit of a dirty word and I would just be like, well, let's try and elevate that then. And I think sometimes when the bar is low, it's like makes it easier to impress people if people's expectations are very low. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you kind of moved from front woman to solo artist and started doing writing your own stuff, mm. did that give you any more power? Well, yes, but mainly from the fact that I'd had it all go away. I think that meant that I felt a layer of worry about it all going belly up was removed. So I think I felt like I just grabbed that opportunity a lot more enthusiastically and than I probably would have done if everything had always been plain sailing, actually. I never took it for granted. And yeah, I was like, wow, this is an amazing... I never thought I would be a solo artist. I, I thought I was going to continue in bands. I was a solo artist by default, you know, because I, I wasn't in the band anymore. But I think I just thought, okay, well, let's just go for it and work with some amazing people and who's out there who who would I always love to work with and I think that's why I credit you know some 
some of the women I spoke about in my book, like um, Sophie Muller, the video director, and mm. Louise and Lisa, who did my hair and makeup, because they became like these more experienced, wise voices, showing me how much fun we could have and what we could do to get so much enjoyment out of where we found ourselves. I think it's really healthy to surround yourself, not just with talented people, but with people who are still so excited about the possibilities. If you're working with people who are a bit jaded and a bit cynical, like, it's really bad for creativity that it stops it being fun. It should be fun. It is fun. If it doesn't feel like fun, you're probably doing something a bit wrong, really. There's a bit where you said about that you're not cool, you're just your mother's daughter. And I remember thinking that actually cool is no fun. <laughs> no, it's really not. It's too much hard work. It's so bloody hard. I don't even know if it's a conversation it's had now, but I feel like the word credibility was in every other sentence when we started. Yeah, I think it still is. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It just, yeah. Why? It's so, what are people trying to prove? Like, do you like the music or not? Like, just be okay with that. Like, you know, this whole thing you had to sort of prove that you were of a, the appropriate heritage. And actually at the time, I probably thought it was very important. But now looking back, I'm like, it's so silly. It looks so young. It looks so young. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it was assumed that you kind of, in that case, weren't credible? Was it because you're a girl? Was it because your mum presented Blue Peter? Or was it just like totally ingrained misogyny in the way the industry worked? I don't know. I think some of it was probably because my mum, having been part of something that was very familiar to people, placed it in a very familiar camp. So they could be a bit over familiar probably with that. But also I think the fact that I had a double barreled surname and I've been to a public girls school probably made a lot of people join a lot of dots and it still happens now like I understand it when they sum me up it didn't sound very much like me as I as I thought of myself in a way it's quite good because you're sort of once removed but at the same time yeah I felt like there was a version of me that people thought was me and I really just was like I'm actually not that girl at all but then I could sort of try and step into that character when I was being interviewed to try it on yeah I was probably a lot more goofy than that behind the scenes but I think the sort of austere scary aloof bit stuck up version of me she was the front woman of the audience really <laughs> yeah that's the the audience persona wasn't it that, mm. that kind of aloof and porcelain and it's true but in a way it kind of protected me because then also when I was doing my own solo stuff I didn't really give loads of myself away I would be quite minimal I didn't even really start dancing for a while you know and I was really still mm. But I think I thought, well, if my career is only going to last till, let's say I'm 25, then at least there's a lot of myself I've kept back because that fear of putting all of yourself out there and then people saying, oh, actually, no, we don't really want that. I don't know where, to, where I would have gone from that. I think that would have been much more harmful for me. So in a way, you're kind of playing a part. Yeah. So you could dissociate yourself a little bit. And probably in a lot of ways, that's the dynamic for a lot of relationships. Not everything happens straight away. It meant that I still felt like there were things I could share when I wanted to when I was older, which I really enjoyed. It just led all the way up to people being literally in my house. <laughs> I don't know where, where further I can go from here, though. <laughs> Oh, you'll find somewhere. Yeah, probably. And the kitchen discos, when we were doing them, I thought we'd just like emerge the other side of lockdown and then pick up where we left off. It's only really because it became so significant under our roof for how it made us feel. I thought, is there a way I can do this as part of the, the music going forward? So that happened sort of quite slowly, really. <laughs> when people talk about their career, it's all about the first 10 years, mm. you know, and how everything feeds off of the first 10 years. But I mean, if you look at how your career shaped, in a way, the second 10 years have been more interesting. And personally, I'm really interested in like the third 10 years, partly because of the way the world is going and technology and all that, but you can start to shape things based on all that. There's still a kind of a slight sense that you're slightly at a disadvantage being a woman, and then you're at more of a disadvantage being a woman who is not 25. How do you feel about your place in that as a woman who's in her early 40s and actually 
really pretty self-contained now. Well, I think the most significant thing, and this probably is the case no matter what gender you are, is that once you're outside of that first flush of your career, the drive kind of just comes from you, really. Because if I stopped making albums or anything new creatively, no one's going to be there knocking at my door saying, where's the next stuff? Whereas when you're part of the major label and it's all the first flush, there's actively wheels in motion that necessitate that you keep that thing going. So once you're the other side of that, it's down to you and you sort of have to become your own cheerleader, really. But from my part, when I got to 34 and I did Wonderlust and I did it on my own label and I self-funded the record, I just felt great. I was like, what an amazing thing to be able to do. I found it really rejuvenating. It was like really exciting and I loved the fact that I could work with all these amazing people who I'd got a relationship with over the years and we could just then go a little bit off the map and just make something and then only present it when it's done. For me it was really really exciting. I think that's probably the only way I've ever known how to do it really is just by sort of trying to be collaborative with people and get excited about stuff. I mean I hope that the day doesn't come when I don't feel like that. That'd be sad. There's so many people that I've spoken to have said that they felt it's probably around about this age. I mean I'm like ages old than you but that they felt okay I'm gonna just do it myself and do it my way and that definitely is an aging thing I mean whether it's necessity because like the man isn't interested anymore or whether it's just a kind of a confidence and a wanting to put how you want it to be first yeah and I think I just felt like I need to do things to shake things up a little bit because I could sense that if I wasn't careful I was going to settle into sort of a, a slight rut that wasn't very fulfilling it wasn't good for the soul really so I think I thought it's good to like pull the rug out from under me a bit and just do something totally different so Wonderlust was no dance no disco it had folky stuff on it it was totally different style of songwriting and I just felt like it's that whole thing of a, a change is as good as a rest it just really reminded me that it's really good to do that it's so good for your head just to shift things and completely run in the opposite direction I didn't think it was going to do very well commercially but that didn't matter I was like I actually just want to do something really selfish now I think that's that's a lovely gift like I, I was very lucky to be able to do that there's um, a bit in the book where you talk about an ex. He was so young and he basically talks about you hitting your prime and, and then it will be downhill from there, which is obviously controlling and abusive and just downright horrible. But like you say, when someone who has your heart tells you your value has a shelf life, how did you kind of get over that sense of your value being finite that he he instilled? Um. Well... I think it was really pretty tough. I think I had to relearn stuff, actually. And I suppose that's, you know, where Richard comes in, really, because everything about our relationship was so different and how he spoke to me about everything and how he responded to ideas I had. He just had to relearn that it wasn't a sign of affection to be kind of mocking or, you know, to talk down to people, actually. And I think like, if you're not careful, that just becomes a real habit and you don't really even notice it. So, yeah, I think I just had to learn again, really. And if... Richard and I hadn't fallen for each other the way we had. Maybe it would have taken a lot longer. But as it was, I just went into this new chapter and it was just like a complete breath of fresh air. And our baby was also part of that too. So Sunny coming along, it just it was like a very fast track to a whole new new life I was living that I didn't I didn't expect to be living then. So yeah, I think I just had to learn it again, really. The significance of kindness, having boundaries about how you talk to one another that are based on just wanting to actually be decent. I think it is very easy, even with a, within a loving relationship, to get sloppy with those things. Because obviously when you love people, you also can sometimes take things out. But actually we're quite good keeping an eye on that stuff. I think maybe that's the thing that a bad relationship can bring to a good one, actually, is actually thinking that won't happen again. You hear that voice and just think, nah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think also understanding once I didn't have any feelings for him anymore, you really see things in a different way. That stuff only has power while they have your heart. And then as soon as they don't, you're like, oh my God, you're actually absurd. What an absurd small person you are. So I think probably a lot of people have experienced things along those lines. And when the love is gone from things, people can behave badly, but his behavior was bad like the whole way through. So yeah, I don't think he could have ever really loved me really. I don't think that's how you can love someone. Goes against how that feels. You just want the best for people yeah. you really care about, don't you? You think. <laughs> yes. You think. Yeah. It shouldn't be how you talk to someone that you're meant to love, that's for sure. Yeah. But then also love is a learned behaviour, I guess. So, you know, in some ways we're, people are very complicated in other ways they're very simple. So all these things feed in. And I do think a lot of that language is there from maybe by the time you're 10, a lot of your relationship with these big deals, the, the beginning bricks are all there, you know, love and food and money and all these things that kind of all feed in from when you're really quite little, I think, and what you see around you, what people say to you. You're incredibly close to your mum, aren't you? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah. Figuratively and literally, she lives 10 minutes away. So yeah. <laughs> how do you think that relationship has shaped how you've grown up, um, grown and, and kind of grown older? I think it'd be very hard to disentangle the me without the, the mum mum part of you know my life really because mm-hmm. she's been there for, for sort of everything you know very good counsel and advice and all of that side of things but also a, a really good example of how to live a life I think because she's she's someone that's you know emotional and communicative but also pragmatic and resolved and I think I've sort of yeah just taken a lot from her really I think we all have, my brother and sister too. And also, I think she never wanted to be my best friend. She was always very clear, like, Wait, I'm your mum. And I think that means that, you know, there's been the bits along the way where she's had to, you know, also kind of rein me in probably or tell us when we're not behaving the way we should. I think all that's pretty good too. Yeah. I, I agree with what she says. <laughs> <laughs> Objectively agree with her view. So I think she talks a lot of sense. And that helps too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having seen her go through her 40s and 50s and and now 60s, how has that affected your approach to getting older? Well, she's done some really cool stuff, like signing her book deal when she was 60 and only started with fiction, which I think is wonderful. And actually, a lot of things that she got on with when I was really small, I'm sort of even more impressed with now, really, like the the sky jumping that she did when she was with Blue Peter, which... I know, crazy. Honestly, it's completely crazy. (laughs) Like, you wouldn't pick her out in a lineup as the woman who'd done that. (laughs) (laughs) And even, you know, the fact that she used to do... Blue Peter without an auto cue, you know, she had to learn the script off by heart from what she was given the day before and then just do it live to have a many million people. Yeah, I think that she's just, as I said before, like been a good example, but also has actually done some amazing things and her values in the right place with her, with the family and with her friends and always makes time for herself. So when I got married, you know, she said, you know, make sure you're selfish for your marriage. And I think actually she's been good at reminding me to take things for myself because otherwise it's very easy to lose yourself in all the roles that you play, you know, work too, actually. It's very easy to hide behind your work and get lost in all the other roles that you have in your life. But she's good at reminding me when I need to actually just do something for myself. Five kids between two and 17 is not nothing. No, it's not nothing. It is busy. I mean, one thing I kept saying like over and over and over during lockdown is I just wish I had a room that was mine. Like, It did make me realise that I haven't really got a place in the house that's just for me. But I think I've tried to get better at that. I've tried to recalibrate. And maybe some of these new pursuits have been part of that too. In fact, probably the book is quite a big example of that. Because mm. it gave me permission to just say, I'm going to be upstairs writing. And it's amazing. Just loved being able to just talk to that page every day. I felt really sad when I finished. I really had enjoyed that relationship with the project. Yeah, it felt like a really big privilege, actually, to have that. I love your description of it as a historical document for yourself. 
<laughs> yeah, I do feel like that, really. And I don't know when you write, but I didn't even read a lot of it back until I came to do the audio book, which is... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, mixed emotions about that. I'm not sure I recommend it. But a lot of it, when you write, you just... It's like writing diary or something. You don't necessarily go, oh, I'm just going to reread this. And you just sort of get it out. And you only know if you've done what you're meant to do by how you feel when you, you know, close the mm. laptop or whatever. Yeah. How was reading the audio book? Because that's... In a way, that can be tough, some of the bits. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, actually, because I had a very sweet chap on the other side of the glass, and that helped. He didn't seem squeamish, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe through doing the podcast, I've kind of got a bit more used to just talking rather than singing, as I would usually do. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the right thing at the right time. There's just definitely bits where I thought, oh, I'd forgotten I put that in, or... (laughs) Oh, I'm surprised I didn't put that or I'm not someone that's particularly over analytical because I feel like nobody else is going to read it in that way. So I did what I meant to do. And then if I wrote it tomorrow, I'd write it differently anyway, because that's that's how it is with songwriting as well. You don't kind of revisit the same idea in the same way like ever. It's always quite unique to that moment in time, I think. I love that approach, that kind of bank it and move on. Yeah, it's just not that important to anyone else. That if it, it's the most important to me, and if I'm okay with it, then just okay, I can live with that. The only bit I did think, I suppose, is just like at the end. I did put, put like a caveat in the acknowledgements and a kind of like if I've said anything that's offended anyone, I'm sorry. I just wrote things as I remembered it because you know, obviously, everybody's got their own version of events, and some people might read it and be like, "That is literally not how I remember it at all." <laughs> so yeah, I felt like I needed to say that just in case. But you didn't worry about that when you were writing it. No, I didn't actually. I didn't. No, and I think you know again. I had lots of people give me advice and yeah it's a bit like parenting I'm going to get some of it wrong so just like just just acknowledge that it's not going to be perfect and then do what you do (laughs) one of the threads that runs through which is just really really striking to me was the importance of agency when did you start to feel that you had it in your life I suppose uh, in a real true way probably not until like maybe my 30s really because up until then, I think the structure of work was still such that you can have your instincts, but you're still part of a bigger picture of how things are supposed to go and the decisions that you're expected to make. So I think probably once I became like properly my own boss, really. Yeah, 30. I say 30. I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask. Go for it. Now, <laughs> what's your emotional age? Oh, golly. <laughs> probably pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's say the emotional age of a very mature 11 year old (laughs) (laughs) why 11 really that's probably partly an age where I feel like a bit me quite crystallized and I think you know I've got like added wisdom and I don't fly off the handle I'm not quite as impulsive but I think probably my innate emotional response to things is probably pretty similar to me then (laughs) right and wrong what hurts and what doesn't (laughs) you are the most incredibly evolved 11 year old (laughs) I don't know I don't think I am that evolved really I always say to my kids you can't help the feelings it's the behavior you can change my behavior has probably got more grown up (laughs) give us a book recommendation either a book that's been really significant to you or just something that you've read recently that you've just really enjoyed I've read so many lovely books and my brain is just going actually why don't you read my mum's book, The Butcher's Hook? It's actually really good. It's the first book that she wrote, and it's all about a murderous young girl in 1700s London. It's actually really quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite a good romp, and especially if you like it when people get killed and you're not expecting it. <laughs> I did read it, actually. When you first read it, what was your reaction? Well, firstly, I knew there'd be a blooming sex scene, like, 
way up front. So that was very faithful. I knew that happened. But actually, I think what I really loved is that I completely forgot my mum had written it. I just really enjoyed the book itself. And I think it didn't surprise me maybe as much as some people might think because I've got a sort of slightly dark fairy tale side of me too. So I kind of quite enjoyed the gothic darkness of it. I might go and grab my charger because my laptop is telling me it's not, not got long left. If you go dark, I will grab another charger ASAP. Okay. Log back in. Yeah, I'm busy admiring all your your decor. <laughs> yeah, you're getting the tour. <sighs> anyway, yeah, you're charged now. All good. Great. Not too many more anyway. What advice would you give younger women? I suppose just keep the good girlfriends around you. And if anything feels like it's not making you happy, stop. I think we tend to put way too much energy into stuff that's actually not doing us any good. Who is your old bird role model? Well, there's so many, but one that popped into my head straight away was Julie Andrews, just because I feel like she's the second voice of my childhood. I would love to meet Julie Andrews one day. Hello, Mickey. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not chucking Lego off the stairs. So, you know, it's like... Yeah, he might be. Maybe he is. Yeah. <laughs> What's your superpower? Probably remembering lyrics, actually. It's quite a handy one, I guess. Songs that I haven't heard for a really long time. Or I'll hear it on the radio and just be able to sing along. But if I could choose a superpower, then I would definitely have a sense of direction. I don't really have one and it's very annoying. <laughs> Come in, Mix. Can you come and say hello? I've got my last question and it's like got a swear in it. You sure you can't hear? Yeah, you can't hear. Plus he's, cool. he's not going to know. Okay. <laughs> All right, it's okay. Go for it. Sorry. How many facts do you give? Um, I'm working on not any, but I've probably still, still more than I'd like. <laughs> I'd really like to be one of those people who just doesn't give any, but I, I don't, I don't know if that'll ever be truly me. Less than before. I used to be someone that was way, way too bothered about stuff. And in a way, I think that can seem like you're being a really nice person, but in a way, I think it's a form of sort of ego, really. I think once you realize that you're not as significant in other people's worlds, I think that's actually sometimes where the emphasis needs to be, really. <laughs> what's the action figure so on the floor we had an action man and it was black widow you know from marvel oh yeah cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah mickey I, I, I think you got did you get those from your big brother's room they're not actually his. you're right mickey oh i think he's ready to go aren't you you want to come with me to get your brothers yeah <laughs> <laughs> my brother you want to yeah i'll go i'll go yeah <sighs> It was lovely speaking to you. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Don't stress about it. You're literally like, I think maybe the second person I've spoken to about any of the book stuff. So it's all easing my way in. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just treat me as practice. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40 and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.